Welcome to Zero Knowledge. I'm your host, Anna Rose. In this podcast, we will be exploring the latest in zero knowledge research and the decentralized web, as well as new paradigms that promise to change the way we interact and transact online. This week, Guillermo and I chat with David Wong, author of the Real World Cryptography book and a co-founder of ZKSecurity.xyz, a ZK auditing firm. We chat about his background in maths and what got him interested in cryptography. We then chat about his early work as a security consultant, his time at Facebook, and then at O of One Labs, where he contributed to the MENA protocol. We cover how ZKSecurity.xyz came to be and what they aim to do, and then dive into the topic of security in the ZK space, covering auditing techniques, hot takes about where the space might be going, and what threads of research are getting David excited. Now, before we kick off, I want to remind you to check out the ZK Jobs Board this month. With the ZK Summit around the corner, happening on September 20th in London, many of our sponsors have put their jobs up on the ZK Jobs Board. So if you're looking for a new opportunity or job in the field, be sure to check it out. And I hope to see you at the ZK Summit. If you haven't already secured your ticket, be sure to do so. We'll be adding the links to the show notes. Now, Tanya will share a little bit about this week's sponsor. Alio is a new layer one blockchain that achieves the programmability of Ethereum, the privacy of Zcash, and the scalability of a rollup. If you're interested in building private applications, then check out Alio's programming language called Leo. Leo enables non-cryptographers to harness the power of ZKPs to deploy decentralized exchanges, hidden information games, regulated stablecoins, identity products, and more. Alio's incentivized testnet is now live. Participate as a developer, apply for a grant, or go for a bug bounty. Check out alio.org forward slash blog for more info. That's alio.org forward slash blog. You can also find the link in our show notes. So thanks again, Alio. And now here's our episode. So today, Guillermo and I are here with David Wong. Welcome, David, to the show. Yeah, thanks for, for having me. Hey, Guillermo. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, David, I reached out to you to come on the show I think, I mean, I started to think about having you on as a guest after I had seen this blog post that you made on zksecurity.xyz all about the Nova vulnerability. And even though there had been like a larger paper published about it, I just found it's like such a great resource to all, like not only understand the vulnerability, but also just understand Nova. So yeah, I just saw you doing this and I thought it would be really great to catch up with you. But I also know that you, I mean, I've, we've interacted when you've had other hats, like when you were working at Mina and like all these other times. So yeah, I'm really excited to, to find out a little bit about the work you've been doing and yeah, just generally your journey here. Cool. And, and I'm super excited because I listen to like, maybe not all your episodes, but like <laughs> most of your episodes. And cool. yeah, it's amazing that we have uh, this podcast in the, in the field. Yeah. I will feel bad a little bit about crashing this party because uh, I, I don't think I was actually invited to this recording until I uh, talked to David and David was like, oh yeah, I'm going to be in the, <laughs> on the podcast. And I'm like, wow, Anna just rugged me. So it's <laughs> fine. Like, it's cool. Um, can I join this one? I'm happy yeah, to have I you just, here, Guillermo. I think this is oh, this is great. That's what um, she says now, but I know she's like, ah, oh, crap. Like, <laughs> damn it. I really didn't want him on this one, but it's fine. Hardly, hardly. It. Actually, yeah, I heard that you had been discussing deep maths and then I sounded like, I, to me, Guillermo, I think you're the perfect co-host for this one. That, that's a compliment. There's right? a compliment. Or, or I, I think so, yeah. <laughs> All right, David, let's kick off with a little intro to you. I, I think I've been tracking what you've been doing since you worked at Mina, and I knew about like Real World Crypto, the book, but maybe give us a little backstory. Kind of where's your starting point on this journey to CK security, like all the way to this kind of moment? I, I guess I started my career doing like consulting work for like a, a crypto like shop um, at a consult consultancy firm called NCC Group. Was it cryptography or was it crypto? Cryptography stuff. services. And okay, so okay. Cri cryptocurrencies were a thing, but I don't think there was that much money at the time. So so we're not really looking at cryptocurrency stuff. <laughs> okay. Yeah. What year and was then, this? Uh 2015, I guess. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. 2015, yeah. 2016. And I I guess at some point there was even a debate on like crypto is crypto cryptography and not cryptocurrency. Yes. And if you go on the subreddit of uh R crypto on Reddit, they refuse the first to... post is like <laughs> Crypto is not uh, cryptocurrency, I and that's know. my post, by the way. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. 
It's actually a website <laughs> called Crypto is Not Cryptocurrency. That's amazing. Or... <laughs> I tried to post once like a very, like an episode we did, but it was a very cryptography focused episode. Mm-hmm. And I tried to post it there and I think I got it removed. Yeah, because... there's, there's so much spam that, that it's kind of hard to, to like yeah, yeah. figure out what's good and what's... But yeah, so I, I used to be in that camp of like, yeah, what was the point of cryptocurrency and, and crypto stands for cryptography? And and then I, I give up. Some people are still fighting that fight, you know, but I don't think it makes any sense. And I think maybe four years in, like I start, we started, like my group started getting more and more cryptocurrency audits. And so th- I think that's when cryptocurrency started booming. And I think I did a year of cryptocurrency audits. And then I was like, okay, I'm this is... This is the most interesting field. Mm. It's it's actually hard to get a job in cryptography, or at least it used to be hard. And maybe you would get a job at like like a boring job at a bank or something like that. Mm. And you would spend your life in meetings or I I, I don't know what people <laughs> did, but it was really hard to get a good job, right? And um and cryptocurrencies come and like cryptography is cool. Yeah. All of a sudden. And so I guess at this point I jumped to uh, the Libra project, which was still stealthy at the time. Ah. Um, Did you join Meta then? Were you or were you, were you an external? Face, Facebook at the time. Facebook at the time. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. Yeah, I was never at Meta. Um, okay. <laughs> so Facebook, specifically the Novi team, which was called Calibra at the time. Like It probably doesn't yes. make sense for anyone who didn't follow that whole like Calibra and Libra and Novi and DM and like, mm-hmm. I don't know how many name changes happen, but that was interesting. So I, so I started doing more like, more like security kind of things. I was the security lead at, at the project uh, for two years. Cool. Just a quick question there. Did you overlap with Bobbin or with Costas? Yeah, I was working with Costas uh, since the, I think he started after me, but I, I, like, I think not too, too long after, after me. And Bobin was there under a different name. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, actually the first time, so at that time I didn't really know about zero knowledge proofs, but I think I was hearing about Plumo, uh, the Cello projects. Yeah. Which, like, they were using zero knowledge proof to like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, fast track, like BFT, like Epoch uh, changes in BFT. Kobe was the lead on that. And actually right? I, right. I worked with him on the trusted setup. That was the first time Kobe and I worked together, oh, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. So, so actually I tried to, to get, get us to do that at uh, Libra and DM. And I, I think basically every cryptocurrency should have like this kind of a, a verified like clients. It's like most interesting application, I think, for ZK, for cryptocurrencies. Mm. Um, yeah, so Bobin was there working on Starks. I had no idea what Starks were. And he actually explained to me what Starks were. And at that time, I remember ex- like understanding everything. Like it was a super nice explanation. And then I forgot everything. <laughs> and then I asked him <laughs> to do it again. And of course, he doesn't have time. And... <laughs> But it was like this amazing explanation. Wow. So you were at Facebook before they changed their name and then you made a leap out of it, I guess. What hmm. what pushed you out of it? So I, I guess, I don't know if people are going to like that, but like the writing was on the wall. Like, uh, things, you know, things were be, being pushed over yeah, every yeah. month we were going to ship. And I think at the time it was sort of clear that regulations are, were like going to kill the project. Mm. Um, well, not super clear, but I made, I made a leap of faith. I'm like, okay, I don't think this is going to work, mm-hmm. work out. And I'm still sad about it. I know people hate Facebook and everything, but I don't think it was necessarily like a bad project. And yeah. we, we made a lot of, um, actually it used to be like a very, a much more idealistic project, mm. but because of regulators, we had to like kind of kill a lot of the, the heart of the projects, which mm. was kind of sad. Uh, and I, I don't think many people know that like these, these kind of like, like a lot of people are very passionate about that project and the regulator and, and all these discussions kind of uh, made it more of a corporate uh, thing and, and less of a cool thing at the time. It almost sounds like it just got safer and safer and safer and like those edgy, interesting parts were getting cut off. Because I heard such as, mm-hmm. I mean, from Costas and from uh, Bobbin, I also heard just like they speak very highly of their time there and the team that was there. The oh, team yeah. that had yeah. been assembled was like kind of incredible. And actually you can see that like those folks have gone off to create really amazing things. But at one point they were all together working on the same thing. Yeah, it, it's actually kind of sad that we all split in different directions. Mm. And I think different people tried to recreate. So I, like Aptos and Mistan Labs were trying to like recreate yeah. the groups. But like like I was already like Admina and happy there. And like people wanted to create Mistan Labs on one side. And, and it was kind of a, it was too bad that we couldn't like decide all together to leave and like it was a pretty good time yeah. it's kind of interesting right because a lot of the 
kind of standard libraries that people use nowadays, some of the best libraries that we have, were actually made for uh, Libra slash DM, right? Yeah. Um, so one, one example being Jellyfish is a really fast key value store, KV store. Yeah, it's used in Penumbra, I believe. I, yes. At the very least, I don't know uh-huh. who else uses it. Cool. Okay, now let's talk a bit about your time at Mina. You made the leap. What year was that? So, okay, I, I can't tell you that because everything's a blur because of COVID. Okay. I, okay. Every time Sometime during COVID. That, okay. <laughs> I just remember I did two years um, at Novi and, and that's all I remember. And I don't okay. know what year it was, but yeah. And what's okay, what's interesting is that I actually, di- I think I discovered zero knowledge proof of or, or this kind of advanced zero knowledge proofs through Coda protocol, which was oh, the yes. name of Mina at the time. Yeah. Uh, but they changed the name because Costa's company sued them. <laughs> this, this whole oh, <laughs> this whole story because oh. it was too close to Corda. Uh, okay, our three products. And so, so when I was at NCC Group, a coworker of mine that's now at Penumbra, uh, uh, Eva, told me to like go to this like meetup, um, which was like not the launch party of Coda, but they were like, I think they were stealthy before or something like that, and they they came up and was like, or they open sourced the code or something like that. And so I went to that meetup while I was still a consultant doing security audits and stuff like that. And I remember being like mind blown that they could like do recursive zero knowledge proofs. And at the time they had like a browser like demo where like your browser could verify like a blockchain. Wow. It was oh. like so insane to me that yeah. um, I remember being mind blown. And so when I wanted to leave uh, the, the DM project at the time, basically I looked around and I was like, holy shit, this is what, this is where I want to work. Cool. <laughs> And so, yeah, basically I reached out to them. They made me an offer. I was like, yes, <laughs> on the spot. Wow. Um, and I think awesome. that was the first time I, I said yes, like as fast as, fast as I could. And yeah, I, I guess I just spent uh, two years there because I, I left like a few months ago mm-hmm. to create ZK Security. And I, when you were at Mina, you created a number of libraries that I think are still in use, like Kimchi. I, I work on Kimchi. I, I'm not going to take credits for it. Um, okay, okay. It, it was a group effort. Um, I just know you presented kimchi with someone else at ZK Summit 7. Right, with Joseph. With Joseph, yeah. Yeah, I guess I was an architect there. And a lot of my work was was to try and understand like where we were going and sort of like what was our strategy uh, vis-a-vis of our code base and these ZK app uh, functionality that still hasn't launched, but is is doomed to, to launch uh, very soon. I can't say much about that. Soon, TM. Um but it should be very soon. <laughs> and yeah, so yeah, I worked on Kimchi. I, I did, a, to, to be honest, I did a lot of OCaml, way way too much oh. <laughs> for my taste. Um, it's, it's, a, it's sort of a functional uh, language, uh, functional programming shop. Um, and so they have very, very good people there because people who like these kind of things are insane. <laughs> um, they, so why OCaml? I thought OCaml was like just... Jane Street or something, right? I think Isaac originally really loved right. it, right? Yeah, Team Efforts, you, you guys got it. Isaac was at Jane Street, of course. Oh, <laughs> ah, I didn't actually okay. know that. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's the only reason why anything is in OCaml, right? It's, <laughs> that, uh, yeah, that's Someone my worked assumption. at Jane Street at some point. Oh, <laughs> right. No way. But also, I okay, tell me if I'm wrong, but I did hear that like there are places in the world where OCaml is like kind of championed. And I heard France has like this epic OCaml community. <laughs> is this true? Well, OCaml is French, right? Like I think it oh, was it invented at Dinria and it's ah, like- Ah, okay, okay. Maybe that's- Interesting. There are people working on that full time. Um, and I don't know if there are like serious companies using OCaml in France specifically, but it, it definitely like impacted a bunch of people who love this kind of, you know, the language theory and these kind of things. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, if you- Okay, Rust was written in OCaml, right? I don't know if you you guys really? heard about like, that uh, fun fact. <laughs> Rust was originally written in OCaml. Right. The I first did not part know of this. Rust was in OCaml. Like um, I didn't know that actually. I asked, for some reason I knew it was like a functional programming language, but I assumed it was Haskell, which is like, you know, yeah. like normal functional terminally An- functional one. programming people use. <laughs> right. I think what so something important at Facebook. So my, my first PR at Facebook was an OCaml PR. Oh my God. And it, I don't know why I chose that. <laughs> and it was on some, I think the flow compiler. Oh, okay. Or maybe like the hack type, uh, type checker was like written in, you know, camel. But I think they, they're moving to Rust and maybe have successful, successfully moved to Rust. 
So, so uh, quick for quick context, Hack is like a homebrewed version of I think it's PHP, right? If I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, I'm not sure exactly what what it is now. Uh, I think they forked PHP and now it's. Like, I, I hope so. Things. Um, but it's like a, it's <laughs> Facebook's like homebrewed language that they oh. use for like a bunch of internal like web page building and, and stuff for like Facebook that. itself, right? Like Facebook yeah, yes. is built in. I know because I remember I had to write some hack at some point for some oh, horrible nice. thing. And I'm sure there's a PR of me in some in that. Ter- Anyways, it's a whole Ooh, thing. I, but I like it, but, you know, I, I like weird things. So, you know, <laughs> I understand <laughs> to each their own. David, I am now curious, though, what language do you prefer now to work in? Like, what is your so, you you know, you would have mm. been working in OCaml at Mina, but would you still prefer that? Is that still kind of where you'd go? <laughs> or are you Rust based now? What's going I'm, on? I think I was always, so it's an interesting question because when you're a consultant, like basically every, so actually now everything is in Rust or Circum or like these kind of things. But back then, like I used to edit, like every, every pen test would be a different language. Oh, wow. So I, I went through a lot and I would say Rust is amazing. Rust is the most amazing language I think <laughs> today. And I I don't think I'll ever write OCaml again. Let's <laughs> say it like that. Probably. Um, I Yeah. It's, it's, I'm gonna get you to try Julia one of these days, and then it'll be great. I haven't tried it, so I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm open to languages, but I kind of want to <laughs> ask you about that though. Like, so because we didn't really talk about sort of your early work that much, but had you studied languages? Had you just been? Had did you pick up a lot of this in work? Yeah, I guess that's like when you're a consultant, it's just you're 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 thrown into like whatever projects, and you you have like a few days to like learn a new language. Usually, okay. Um, that's the you know the dark side of the behind the scene of uh, of being being a consultant, and so yeah, I just sometimes yeah learn the language just for for like two weeks of of pen testing and wow, and then never touch it touch it again. Like mm. that that happened a lot. On that question, actually, uh, is I actually don't really know what your background is. Um, mm. I don't think we ever chatted about it. No. So pr- prior to doing. Kind of security and cryptography consulting. What I did, I did tell you that maybe you forgot. I told you I, I, I used to do math, believe it or not, because I'm bad at math. <laughs> that's right. And, uh, you did tell me that, yes, yeah, specifically. Okay. But you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna pretend for the sake of this right. uh, episode that I've never heard of it before. So you're coming more from math. You didn't study CS, I guess. No, I di- I didn't study. Yeah, I guess so. I did a bachelor of math in part in Canada, actually. Oh, cool. Um, and I I was deeply depressed uh, <laughs> doing <laughs> math. Oh, Pure, pure mathematics, <laughs> as all mathematicians are. Right. Yeah, and so I, I guess that like one summer, I didn't know what to do with my life. I just figured I'm gonna finish my bachelor and you know figure like end up under a bridge or like I had no idea what work meant or like what what people actually do that you know deserves to be paid money or yeah. Um, Did you do mathematics at a French institute? Yeah, French. Um, actually, that I, would okay. contribute to the depression. <laughs> Why? Um, <laughs> Oh, oh, the Fr- the French mathematicians and and mathematics yeah. curriculum is a is a special one. Ooh. It's a special one reserved for a, a specific circle of hell for people who who are wow. into that kind of thing. Um, we can talk about it more later. But anyway, sorry, I, David. Yeah, I wouldn't say the curriculum, but like the way of teaching also in France is like I have a lot of strong opinions on like it's basically going to jail and not it, yep. it's horrible and <gasps> and my time in Canada was so much better. Like my teachers oh, wow. were so much better. Like, <laughs> yeah. like, Anyway, I'm not going to say anything more because <laughs> I don't want to make enemies. Um, but, uh, okay, where, where was I? Okay, so so I did I did math and then I was deeply depressed. And one summer, because this is interesting, so I'll tell that story. Um, I was working at McDonald's, making making burgers in the kitchen, right? That's, that's how we did it. And I discovered, so Coursera was something new at the time. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the first course on Coursera was this Dan Bonnet uh, cryptography yep. no way. 101 thing. <gasps> yes. Right? So during during my breaks or like days where I was off, I would go to the library and I would just follow the cryptography one hundred and one or cryptography one course no from that money. And I went through that and I was like, okay, this is what I, I need to do. Like I like computers. I had been like you know doing computer stuff forever, and I I liked math, but I just didn't like what I was doing. So I was like, yeah. this is my escape. I'm just gonna do a master um, in math. So I finished that course, went into a master in the University of Bordeaux, and yeah, so. Everything followed from that. I got an oh. internship at some 
you know, NCC Group, the, the consulting firm. Yeah. And uh, the rest is uh, history. It's what we've just talked about. This is awesome. Wow. I'm so glad we actually dug into that because that, I mean, what a crazy connection point to also what Dan does now. And like you work now in his world in a lot of ways. That's so cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so, yeah. Dan Bonnet for me is, and I remember sending him an, an email like, hey, can I do a PhD with you? And he actually responded and but back in the days and I, I can't remember what he said. Um, but he was not a no. It <laughs> was not a no. Okay, good. Um, so wait, sorry, I guess, uh, Coursera. Yeah, this was like, what, 2010, 2011? I think later than that, no? 2012, maybe. Maybe 2012. Yeah, it's interesting because funnily enough, that's the first course that I also saw at Coursera. But the first course I actually took at Coursera was from uh, Ecole Polytechnique. And it was their real <gasps> analysis course. Oh, which, which uh, course? Their, their functional analysis course specifically oh, okay all right <laughs> um it's 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 a terribly difficult course for some godforsaken reason that was mm. it it exposed me to the french uh mathematics system <laughs> um the people that survive this this system are really good yeah but, yes. but it's hard to survive basically damn <laughs> yeah i want to ask you david at what point does writing a book which became real world crypto the book mm -hmm. that I, I, as I understand, is now published in multiple languages around the world. When did that idea pop into your mind? Like, and were you doing this on the side? And maybe talk a little bit about this book. Yeah. So I guess I don't know if this is interesting, but but like I've I've always liked writing, and I so like one of my first successful, maybe not first successful, but the, okay, the first time I ended up in the newspaper mm -hmm. was during my <laughs> bachelor. And I so I made a, I heard that idea of like, if you write three pages a day, then you can like check like a checkbox and then it motivates you to keep writing because okay. you see like a chain, like a blockchain, you know, oh. of like days you've, you've written. Motivation chain. Yeah, exactly. It's a thing, right? Like chains. And, and so <laughs> there was a website to do that, but you had to pay. So I made okay. my own, own application and I started using it to write like every day, like three pages yeah. a day. And then I published it online because I was like, this is so useful for me. So I'm going to publish it. And people have, yeah, like a huge amount of people in France have been using it. People have written books just using the app. Wow. And so I've, I've always like loved writing. I've always wanted to like write books. I actually wrote um, one book before that's uh, un that's a novel and that's unpublished. Uh, but I, I was already in this kind oh of mindset. Gosh. It's a <laughs> <laughs> when will you wait? Is it just sitting in your like as a transcript on a bookshelf? It's on a computer somewhere. <laughs> and, and... <laughs> You're not in the 19th century. I got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wanted to buy this this kind of a how do you call that typewriter? Uh, typewriter, <laughs> but never did. Uh. And so yeah, I've always liked writing. I've always had a blog. I've, I've went through many blogs, and I guess the most recent blog that uh, usually people are more more familiar with is the cryptology blog. Mm -hmm. cryptology with a French uh, spelling and which I started during my master. So I've been blogging for, mm -hmm. I don't know, for uh, almost 10 years, I guess. Why did I write a book from that? <laughs> so I always wanted to write a book on cryptography because I, I just like teaching what I learn. And I think we can all agree that reading papers is hard and it's always like very painful. And so if you find like some resource for, that someone wrote, it's like nice because you can, you can, um, understand things better. Mm. And so learning cryptography, I run, I run into a lot of things I couldn't understand myself. And so I, I, by learning them, I wanted to like teach them after. And so, so that's sort of the, when I had the idea of writing a book, I actually, the real click also came when I was teaching a course at, so I used to teach a crypto course, cryptography course at Black Hat, okay. uh, oh, nice. the conference. Ah. And someone came to me one day and they were like, oh, can you give me like a recommendation for like, like a course or whatever? And I told them to check the Dan Bonnie course and they told me it's too theoretical. Like that's not Ooh. for me. Okay. Interesting. And so that's when I understood that I could do something that would be very useful for a lot of Interesting. people. Interesting. Wow. So the book was essentially an outgrowth of kind of your blog uh, and like it's associated writings. I, I actually haven't read mm -hmm. the book. It's on my like Amazon cart. I know, I know. I I'm sorry. It. Oh, you <laughs> nice. do. I've okay. started that actually, but I, so yeah. is it essentially, does it take your blog and kind of formalize it and like make it a narrative? Like, what does it actually do? Also, I, I have another question about the blog itself, but we can get to that afterwards. 
Oh yeah, so, so the book is basically two parts. The first part is the ingredients and the second part is the recipes. That's, that's what I call the, the, th the thing in the book. <laughs> okay. And ingredients is just, basically I, I reuse a lot of my blog posts, but most of it is novel because I realized that I actually didn't know a lot of the things I was supposed to write on. So I had to spend the time to like learn it and so I could uh, really teach it. That's awesome. And so, okay. yeah, first part is like, you know, basic ingredients that, that uh, are pretty common in cryptography. So like hash functions, uh, uh, authentication tags, uh, max encryption, authenticated encryption, key exchanges, signatures, all, all these things. And the second part is what do you do with that? So it's like uh, SSL and TLS, so session encryption, uh, secure messaging with signal. So, so yeah, end-to-end -end encryption. Uh, what, what else do I talk about? So I, I talk about ZK Snarks and MPC and FHE. Wow. I talk about post-quantum cryptography. Um, so all sorts of like more advanced topics. And yeah, what else do I... <laughs> okay. I, I should have the, the thing in front of me. But, um, <laughs> so I can what cheat. else did I talk about? But stuff, yeah. stuff like that. Hold stuff up. like that. Nice. I mean, it's interesting. Like I've seen a lot of people actually tweeting as they're going through it. Like, I think this is, it's become quite a, like a, the textbook that people will potentially go to first, but this is not really for ZK only folks. This is really for just general kind of blockchain topics, right? If you want to know the technology and the cryptography that underlines a lot of that stuff, this would potentially mm -hmm. be a good starting point. Yeah. And actually my, my slogan at the time was, uh, or for, for, you know, our, blockchain world was this is the first cryptography book with a chapter on cryptocurrencies oh neat so it's actually if you're into cryptocurrency it's actually a good book to read if you want to get more into the cryptography of it because it actually talks about the uh, bft consensus protocols and, and these kind of things nice i i also have a here's the second set of questions about this is you know it, it even if you want to write right like whatever mm -hmm. you know you have the, your, your little uh blockchain of a, you know achieved days <laughs> that you've written three pages like why write about cryptography why write about this specific thing like why not write you know you were interested in, you wrote a novel earlier like why not do short stories you know or something like why was this mm -hmm. the, th the idea like yeah I guess, I guess i just like teaching and and it's easier to write about what you do i guess mm. so i i Fair. I did, you know, crypto stuff, cryptography stuff. And, and so I was like, I'm writing this blog and I'm explaining a lot of the concepts and people really like them. I'm making these videos. People seem to like them. Uh, and I seem to like add value uh, to people's lives. So I want to do more of that. You know, if I, I think if I write a book, it's going to be a book that doesn't really exist. And so it sounds like a good idea. You saw the need when that, when that person had come up to you. So like mm -hmm. someone did sort of say like, I, there's... The things that are out there are not satisfying what, what we're looking for. Right. So, yeah, I think I really saw the need. And I even to this day, I think there's no other book like that 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 is like in between the theoretical and the, the very practical. Mm, that's very cool. I, I have one slight side question um, that you sort of talk about. You, you, you built your own version of this three pages a day. Is it, an, is it just like an open source app or something? What is it? It's not open source, but I guess you can use it, but it's in French. <laughs> oh, well, I speak French, it's, so I could maybe just, uh, use it? Oh, yeah. And it's, I mean, as long as you can register, you, you can use it. Right? <laughs> okay, cool, cool. What's it called? Yeah. It's called 3pages.fr. Ah. Um, uh -huh. I, w I wish you could, I could like encrypt what people write. That's, that's sort of like the primary feature that people request. It's like, oh, whatever I write is like goes in a database and... And, you know, it's it's not mm. really private. So it would be cool if I could do that. But I honestly, I, I haven't had the time to to do this. That's... You could make it private with a zero knowledge proof, maybe? <laughs> I, maybe not. Maybe there's something <laughs> Maybe to do there's there. something else that would be better suited, <laughs> yeah. actually. You could probably just make it private by having it on your laptop or something. I feel like people have made crude versions of this elsewhere. Yeah, it'd be good to, to use cryptography in that project. Because totally. I did that when, before I was really yeah. into cryptography. And, oh, that's so but neat. yeah, uh, lack of time, yeah. So, but getting quickly back to um, the blog post, and and I assume the book as well, but I unfortunately haven't, sorry, read it again. Um, so one thing I actually really appreciate about your blog post, and it's very impressive that you could just write three pages every day and have them come out this good on average. I guess it happens after a lot of writing, is that it's actually very clear. So, you know, you say, oh, it's, it's only for people who aren't like too theoretical. And I would deem myself as like terminally theory oriented. Right. Like there's kind of no escape for me at this point. Right. 
Um, <laughs> but I actually still really appreciate your blog. It's very good. It's very well written. It's very clear in, in ways that uh, I will say almost no, if any paper actually is. Um, Thanks. And, and you're very good at kind of this conversion, this this idea of like taking, you know, 60 pages of something that could definitely be uh, shrunken down to about five. Right. And and have all the same content. Right. And then explaining it even more cleanly than those five pages. I was like, OK, like, <laughs> how do you what do you do that? Like, what what is the process? Do you you know, do you go take mm. a 60 page paper and like a bottle of wine and sit in a corner of a room until you. <laughs> That's what I used to do. <laughs> oh, is what I used to do. Okay, good. I'm, I'm glad we're, we're all in agreement, at least on that one. Drinking is always a good like influence on the writing. I think a lot of writers are, you know, do these kind of things too. Um, but for, for technical writing, it's a, it's a different, uh, different process. I would say, yeah, I would say the, the deepest secret, you know, like double quote secret is that, um, good writing is just a writing that has been rewritten a number of times. And I would say the same for like good code. I think good code is mm -hmm. code that has been refactored many times. Mm -hmm. Nobody writes well the first time. Like that's what I do. I just write my drafts. It's and it's shitty. It, nobody should see that. You know, I would be very ashamed if anybody sees that. And I sleep on it. And the next day I look at it, I cry a bit and I rewrite <laughs> it and rinse and repeats, you know. How long did it take you to write the, the book? It took me a bit more than two years uh, okay. to write that book. And I, I was slow, I guess. And when did it get published, actually? When did it come out? Uh, I don't know, because it was COVID. During again, COVID, I think it was okay, 2021 <laughs> something, maybe. It must have been maybe. a year, maybe, or a year or two years. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's I been translated. I, I noticed you were tweeting this. What is, what's going on there? Yeah, it's so weird because I, I didn't know about that. And basically yeah. people send me these things and that's how I learn. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. But I think it's in German, in Polish, in wow. Japanese, in, in Chinese. Uh, I'm so sad that it's not in French. Yet. But hopefully one day. Yeah. yeah. But wait, who, how does that happen? Like, are people, do you have a publisher? Is the publisher doing it? Like, how is this? I, I have no idea. Yeah, I have a publisher. It's uh, Manning. Okay. Uh, and... I, yeah, I don't. I don't know how they do it. It's just. It's just magical. You know? Wow, that <laughs> they're localizing it. This is really cool. I like that yeah. it's like happening, sort of just like out there. Mm -hmm. um, Actually, I should. I should say that. So I have a, a box of German real world cryptography and a box of Korean uh, real world oh. cryptography, <laughs> and so I'll probably yeah uh, warn people so that I can uh, sort of give them out because I don't know what to do with them at, at SBC. Cool. So if I if I get a a copy of the book, can I get it signed? Can, can you speak German or, or Korean? Is that a, oh no no no? German I mean, or Korean? <laughs> unfortunately, oh, I, I have a US version. Yeah. I can give you the the English one. And yeah, oh, okay, of course, fine, I'll take it. No, I'll, 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 I'll buy it just just to support the author. You know, <laughs> All right. cool, cool. Um, is there anything you think folks who are starting that book or who want to use that book should know about how to like use this textbook or how they should approach it? Uh, no, I w I would say just start it. You know. Just start reading and you'll you'll get it. And just ask me questions if you don't get it. On Twitter. <laughs> yeah, just ask me things on Twitter. Do you do you need to have a math or CS background, do you think? Uh, so I would, I would say no. So that, that's that's sort of why I wrote the book. I, I tried to like use minimal amount of equations. Some mm -hmm. chapters, I didn't really have a choice, um, especially like when I get more into public key uh, cryptography. But I, I tried to stay away from, you know, writing equations and try to stay away from theory. I do talk about how the theory side see things, but I, I, it's more of like, like usually in small boxes that you can like ignore if this is not interesting to you. Cool. Um, so, so yeah, no, no, no prep needed, I would say. Nice. So let's move on then to your latest project, zksecurity.xyz. Uh, as mentioned, the way that I first saw it was through the blog that is attached to this project. But then as obviously I clicked in and then saw, oh, wow, David's doing some sort of auditing firm or some, like it's, it's dealing now with ZK security. So yeah, share a little bit about uh, what it is and how it came to be. Oh yeah. So I guess uh, me, Brandon and Gregor from O1Lab, so, so working in Mina, we were, so bo both of them are working on the higher um, level in the stack of, of the, the Mina stack. And so they're, they're talking to developers. They're seeing developers use um, ZK apps or try to write ZK apps. They're seeing a lot of bugs, and uh, they're telling me, "David, I, I think there's a there's a market for that. Like we're, we're you know people write bugs in smart contracts, like in Ethereum <laughs> and, and whatever. And there's a whole market of 
auditing firms doing work there. Mm-hmm. We think there's going to be a need for um, smart contracts, but like CK smart contracts. And so, so we sort of like took the bets and decided, you know, to, to, to create this thing, uh, ZK security. Uh, and I would say that indeed, um, after doing a number of jobs, we've realized that very good people will write, uh, pretty, uh, bad bugs. Um, and Ooh. basically nobody can write, uh, it, this new paradigm of like constraints is, is actually very hard to, to, wow. um, figure out. And, and I mean, even good people who know what they're doing will, make make uh, pretty big mistakes there so it's it's been quite interesting to see uh people writing circuits you know today if we look at the the different platforms uh for writing zk apps that that exists most of them are, are not launched and so i think what we do today is going to be very different from from a year uh, mm-hmm. from now when when mina has launched alio has launched aztec has launched uh, yeah. starknet is, is more of a thing and and so on interesting yeah, when you said that, you're sort of talking about the ZK apps. So it comes originally from this idea of seeing people building ZK apps, I guess, in the testnet phase. But that's not mm-hmm. the deep cryptography part, right? Like, I guess when you're doing ZK security auditing today, you're usually dealing with like the protocol builders who are who are actually using the ZK in creating these platforms where you can use ZK apps. All those right. teams you listed, would you see yourself as a potential auditor of their code base or are you sort of waiting to like be more for the the things that are built on top? Yeah, so our, our bet was that smart contract security is a big thing. ZK smart contract security is going to be a big thing or ZCAP security is going to be a big thing. Yeah. But since a lot of these projects haven't really come out, uh, we've actually been auditing a lot of things lower down the stacks. Got it. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so like proof systems or very low level, like, you know, manual R1 CS writings or, Interesting. or, or these kind of things. Uh, but... I think tomorrow or, you know, some, someday in the future, I think this is, you know, the proof systems are going to ossify, solidify, mm. and we're going to see more user apps and, and, and more bugs or, or more work for us on, on this uh, <laughs> uh, layer. Yeah. As, as an auditor of those systems, though, like, is it hard for an auditor to learn all of those different languages to be able to audit all of those things? Or do you think there needs to be like some sort of specialization? I would say finding bugs is always finding bugs. And so in the higher level, uh, higher layers, I think it's, it's not going to be, you're not going to have to have like a deep proof system background to do okay. that work. That's that's what I think. Hopefully that's going to work because I have to train a generation of, of uh, consultants for that. Yeah. Um, but for the for for writing like low level constraints and, and custom gates or, or, or very low level constraint things, I think it helps to to understand things at, at a lower level. I think without that understanding, it's going to be hard to to audit or to write these kind of things. Mm. And so, yeah, I think today we're in a good spot because I, I don't think many people like us are interested in doing audits. So so we're very few people with this kind of background, uh, with with this kind of cryptography or or you know my co-founders like worked on like uh, snarky JS and these kind of uh, compilers for and languages for uh, writing ZK apps. Yeah. So people who do that usually are are spending their time building these kind of things. And so so there's mm. not many people who have this kind of expertise to, to audit things. There are a few firms coming out. Like I did an episode with the folks from Veridice, John, mm. um, and like they're coming, I think, more from smart contract auditing, now doing ZK auditing, not so much from like the deep cryptography to now being an auditor, which it sounds like your your path is more like that. They were talking about fuzzers and phone verification, mm-hmm. other like tools where you just kind of like, there's like types of bugs that happen enough times that mm-hmm. there's like specific things that they're looking for. Do you have stuff like that too? Or are you doing much more of like a kind of, I'm, I'm just sort of picturing like, you mm-hmm. know, very careful through each line kind of audit. So, okay, that's that's a very good question, actually, because I have strong opinions on that. Okay. <laughs> um, so I guess formal verification, fuzzing, all of these things are, all of these tools are like things that are known by consultants. It's, it's nothing new, you know, mm-hmm. and we're just like translating or transporting these tools to like this, this new paradigm and like these, these new frameworks. From my experience, and I think a lot of consultants would, ref- would agree with me, although, although, you know, I don't want to speak for everyone. But manual work is still very needed, very wow. much needed. Um, maybe there's a future where we can throw code at 
an AI and and they'll mm. you know find bugs for us and actually I believe in that you know so, so I'm I'm happy if if uh, there's a future like that uh, but for now I think manual work is very important that's that's how most bugs are found and fuzzers okay let's talk about fuzzers and formal verification so formal verification usually is more like like static analysis like you don't really run the code. And fuzzers are like dynamic analysis. So you run the code and you're trying to, to find bugs mm. uh, just by running the code. Fuzzers, um, I think, are relatively recent in a, in a sense where like we had a theory, but people didn't really come up with like nice implementations. And um, I think AFL was like the first big implementation. And at the time, C programs were a big thing. So like, uh, in C, you have a lot of memory corruption, corruption bugs, and so fuzzers become very useful because you can find all these uh, these uh, you know you're trying to write to memory but you shouldn't write to memory there, or you're trying to read from memory but you shouldn't. And C is like a horrible language, so it allows you to do that. Mm. But now that we have Rust, fuzzing is not that useful anymore. I still I still write fuzzers, but I mm. I would say that usually I I will find crashes at best, um, but you never find anything really interesting. And maybe for constraints, you might be able to find more like completeness issues where sometimes you're, you you have some constraints that are supposed to like, you know, encode some program and the fuzzer will find some inputs that don't work. You cannot prove them. You know, you cannot create a proof. And so you have some completeness issue. But usually you don't need to write a fuzzer to to find them. That's that's mm. what I've seen in practice. So I I believe in them. You can find low hanging fruits very quickly with them. Um, but depending on how much time you have, sometimes it's not it's not worth the effort because because it's not always a good way to to find a, um, to find good bugs. You know. I also, I, the kind of bug that feels like it'll start coming up more and more, uh, which um, it, is it, it's a bit harder conceptually with kind of transparent contracts like solidity is like under constraining things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. normally when you do things you build an object right and then like that object is is constructed and therefore has like some set of properties that are, are interesting here it's kind of the opposite right like zk requires me in order, in order to build such an object i actually have to say what things are both like reasonable and not reasonable mm. right by constraining it in a variety of ways by adding certain constraints and and i feel like this is the kind of bug that is, you know, you, it's easy to say because it's obviously you can construct objects that are like not reasonable in like a lot of ways. But I feel like it's going to be way more common uh, in ZK, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, oh, crap, I accidentally forgot a constraint to check that like something is. I mean, it does happen still, but, you know, mm -hmm. something is like non-negative in, in my specific way I'm identifying a number. Right. And I feel like fuzzers would probably be very useful for that. But I, I don't know. I mean, it seems like you you. you don't have that opinion so i'm curious like um yeah i would say i don't think fuzzers are going to be very useful for soundness issues so like so when i think of soundness issues it's like finding inputs that should not work but are working mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so finding these inputs usually is, is hard because you have to like um you have to like construct them manually uh not necessarily all the time but in very interesting cases and for very interesting bugs you you need to like you know like compute the inverse of like another number or like something like that. Mm -hmm. And then that will work, but it's not supposed to work. And so the fuzzer, a fuzzer is like kind of a dumb program that will just throw like random numbers at the program. And it's not going to do this kind of, uh, these more clever, uh, things. And so I, I think, yeah, I think we're going to be limited with fuzzers. Mm. Interesting. In that episode I did with John from Veridice, we talked also about this middle ground between fuzzer and formal verification, which was like static analyzer i think that's mm -hmm. what it was called is would you also put that in the same category as fuzzer or do you think it's more useful so so okay so this is interesting because that's, that's where my strong opinion is oh <laughs> but I, I i will okay i'm gonna shock everyone but i'll say that like insecurity like formal verification is more of a buzzword and it's usually Ooh. a good way to like hire researchers or get grants <laughs> or you know i attract people and and or or have interesting things to work on because like these are interesting problems, mm. but usually they're not that useful. They're they're usually pretty noisy or they don't really find anything uh, useful. I I've actually never found anything useful using static analysis. I will always run them, 
And I think most consultants will like look at what tool, like what static analysis tool they have whenever they look at a project. So like linters are is a form of static analysis, so mm -hmm. it, it's easy to run a linter. Um, or you have more advanced ones. And the more advanced ones that can find interesting things are usually way more involved. And so if you want to use them, you're going to spend way too much time. And this is not time you have usually. Huh. That being said, I've seen people on projects that are paid to just formally uh, write formal specifications. And so these, I believe, are interesting exercises because it gives you another insight on the protocol that you're writing or creating because it forces you to like write it in like a, in a different way. And so by doing that, sometimes you might find bugs or you might find issues and these kind of things, but it's mostly the exercise of writing that, you know, in a different language or something like that, um, that I think is interesting, not necessarily the running the, the tool, um, to, to find bugs. That being said, I have a blog post coming where I do use uh, tag analysis, which is a form of static analysis. Mm -hmm. Um, to find these kind of bugs that I call boomerang uh, bugs in, in under constrained mm. programs, um, so so there is some hope somewhere, but it's today it's it's very there's so much friction to to use these tools. Yeah. David, you just kind of used you used formal verification and static analysis sort of together in that last bit. So which mm -hmm. one are you critical of more? Just the way you said that, I was sort of I I hadn't real I had thought of them as like distinct, but are they kind of connected? Yeah, so st static analysis is just tools that don't run the code. Mm -hmm. So it, they will just uh, either get information from the compiler or or like just you know just look at the code and do like very nice things. Does this code contain the function eval? Okay. And we know that eval is a bad function, so you know just like grabbing like naively in the code. So you can do a lot of things like that. Um, formal verification for me is just like one like subfield of ah, like static analysis. Mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Um, so, so like, for example, linters are static analysis tools. And to me, they are amazing. Like everybody should use linters. If you use Rust, you should run Clippy on your projects, for example. Um, if you don't, you're crazy. What, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> specifically, I was, uh, my, my strong opinion is on, is on formal verification and, I see. and how it's, it's far from being usable in, in practice. And yet specking it out or do creating the formally verified spec is useful right in in the same way that writing a specification is useful like okay. like an english you know purely english specification because it forces you to put ids that you have in your head uh on paper and and by doing that you might realize that something is is kind of wrong or um, so it's not the it's not like using a formal verification tool on existing code, but rather the writing of it, like almost the first part of it mm -hmm, is the useful mm -hmm. part, just like mm -hmm. trying to put it in the format that you would need in order to run formal formal verification right. is the right. is the part where you actually catch a lot of stuff. Huh. It's also most of the work, to be fair, right? Like <laughs> yeah. most of the work of formal verification is specifying the problem that you're attempting to solve. Interesting. Right. And and mm -hmm. this, you know, it's uh, it's kind of funny. This brings us a little bit back to writing. It's like, what's the best way of clarifying your own thoughts is writing them down in a formal way, mm -hmm. and then like having a thing that says, okay, mm -hmm. here from point A to point B, like here is everything that I want to, you know, have this thing satisfy or not satisfy. And and indeed, that's like ninety nine percent of the work of writing is actually making it clean and reasonable, much more than it is like the the high level idea. Yeah, um, so it's kind of like if if you you might think you don't need to write a proof, but by writing a proof, you might actually realize that whatever you were, your theorem is like not correct, or that's right, or your protocol is broken. So, kind of revisiting the fact that you're currently not auditing smart contracts, zk smart contracts on top of these platforms, but the, actually the underlying stuff. We already mentioned one class of bugs or problems, which is the a circuit being under constrained. Mm -hmm. Are there other types of bugs that you're looking for in in sort of that low level auditing, or is it just that one? I would say that the two bugs are, are basically this. It's like completeness bugs. It's like you you want to try to do something, but you cannot because you you badly constrain something. Mm -hmm. Or soundness bug. You uh, you can do something, but you should really not be able to do this thing. What does that mean? Like it like it's happening, but it's not happening because of the logic. Yeah, so I guess the easiest, maybe the easiest example is like, let's say you want to like add two values together in a circuit. Uh, 
And what you can do is that you can create a constraint that adds the two values together, and that would work, right? Because the third value, the results, the prover can try to put anything there, but it's not going to work because there's a constraint that's preventing you from doing that. You're not going to be able to create a proof. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you under-constrain your circuit, you might forget to create that constraint that says A plus B must be equal to C. So A plus B minus C equals zero, right? Same thing. If you forget to write that, then the prover can put any value they want in into the C buckets. Mm-hmm. And so then you don't know what's going to happen in the rest of the circuits because they, yeah, they can do whatever they want. And, and you have to think about that all the time. Like whatever values are in the circuits can be anything the prover wants them to be unless you have a constraint, right? Mm-hmm. So if you don't constrain something, then it can be anything. The prover can choose whatever they want. In both cases here, so like a soundness bug would be because there's a constraint missing and a completeness mm-hmm. bug exactly. would also be because a different kind of constraint is missing. Or, or a completeness bug could be you, you have too many constraints and one of the constraints oh. is actually preventing you from, like it's saying oh, wow. okay, uh, B should not be equal to zero when actually mm-hmm. you want B to be equal to zero. You know? oh, interesting. It's a, it's a valid input. And just to remind everyone, like maybe in the completeness part, why would a team create an under-constrained system or circuit like what like there's there's obviously some sort of trade-off that they're going for like they're getting mm-hmm. more efficiency or something yeah why why would you have that happen why not just add a ton of constraints like why not just <laughs> use all of them all the time <laughs> yeah i'd say i'd say two two things so that you touched on the first one it's like wh- when you're looking for to optimize things uh you you can create bugs the other thing is uh human error right like human error is the source of most bugs mm-hmm. and so in this case um I mean, it's hard, you know, like some of these constraints are hard to write. The one thing I can think of, which is like one of the trendy subjects, and actually I'm, I'm a, uh, one of the architects for the Z-Prize, uh, one of the Z-Prize category this year, mm, and one nice. of them is, uh, is going to be on that. And so this prime is called non-native arithmetic. And so sometimes you want to do stuff in, in a circuit and, and, you know, a circuit is instantiated on a field. Uh, but you want to do addition or multiplication or whatever in another field. And so it's kind of hard to think about that, right? Like you, you're you doing things modulo a number P, but you're trying to do operations modulo Q, like a different number. And so most, I mean, most everybody is going to be like brain fucked at some point when they try to think about that. <laughs> and it's actually every, I think every project that has implemented these things have had bugs. Wow. Like Aztec had right. like, like a spec and they like they say like oh, oh we had an under constraint here um mina had a bug also at some point there uh i'm sure everybody everybody else must have had a bug mm. do you think i don't know if you've thought about this and this was a topic kind of a few months ago in our chat we were talking a lot about disclosures and appropriate disclosures how like if you're an auditor who's working with a client obviously there's like a very clear way that these things are communicated but as an auditor, are you also looking into systems that are you're not working on? What happens if you find something? What do you do? Mm. Okay, this is a great question. Like, I at some point in my li- in my life as a consultant, I wanted to like do a talk just on that topic. <laughs> it's it's kind of a huh. it's such a weird like so security is such a weird field. It has like these kind of perverse like incentives yeah. sometimes, yeah. where like if you have a client and they're you know they're paying you to find bugs and and you tell them. Here are the bugs. I think that's fine. Or if you're an academic, you know, like you, you, you don't have to be working for clients. You could just be doing like pure research. Yeah. Like you're going to find bugs. And it's like, what do you do with these bugs? And it, and there's this whole like, you know, as an academic or even if you're a consultant, you need to create a buzz. You need to give a name to your to your attack. So it's going to be, uh, I don't know, the attack of the day. Everybody's going to be mentioning the, you know, heartbeat or like, like whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know what's the latest. Actually, there was one recently but basically you know there's this game that people are playing and and they're you like sometimes i sometimes i you know i stop and think and i'm like are we still the good guys and and (laughs) are we doing like is it actually good to break stuff well specifically in these moments where you find a bug and you cannot warn everybody about that bug you know there's gonna be like devices that are are gonna have that bug they're not gonna be patched in time oh yeah and so the other side of the argument is that, well, if we don't do that, the bad guys are going to do that and the bad guys are going to exploit that. So we have to like, you know, disclose it to everybody, uh, everybody 
we need to let people people know and there is no perfect way to do it you know people will exploit that the bad guys will have some time to exploit it but this is this is the best uh, outcome is it really a good thing is like researching bugs and like breaking systems is it actually a good thing because i think most bugs actually never go um exploited like some mm. bugs are dormant like forever basically yeah it's it's a bit of the kind of accelerationist philosophy that i mean at least i think that's what some folks who are into the hacking and breaking is the sense that like well it was going to break eventually so we might as mm-hmm. well break it now and if we have a path mm-hmm. right. to be ethical at somewhat let's do it that way or there's others who are just like if it's going to break anyway, someone's going to get the bounty on this. And not even, I don't mean like official bounty, like they'll get the payload, they'll get the the money that you can steal. So I might as well do it. Like that's definitely, uh, and, and it is, I, I wonder if the way that that's rationalized is, well, this is helping push everything forward anyway, because it was going to break eventually. Mm-hmm. It's like, wh- who knows? I, I can understand both sides of the argument, but I I think the side that says this is good, this is objectively good, you know, I, I think it's more fine-grained. Like uh, the reality is more, more nuanced. Uh, yeah, the the ethics of uh, of security have always been, and I think will continue to be quite interesting. Right? It's uh, mm-hmm. it's a funny arms race, mm. moral quandaries. You know, uh, it's sometimes easy to point at a mirror and be like, uh, "Yeah, are are you sure you're getting up in the morning for the right thing?" You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so it goes. Mm. Right. If there were a perfect answer, I don't think we'd be having this uh, discussion in the first place. So I wonder, like, how do you even think, David, that we could even get that conversation going? Like, who should be in that? I think it's still like it's still early. Right. Like um, ZK security is like a very, very early, early field. Most of the ZK applications are not born yet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, like, I think we'll get many examples of what we just talked but I don't think I've seen an example so far in ZK Or, or maybe I'm not thinking enough. There was a big um, plonk one, but they were able to disclose that. This is the one that Trail of Bits found. I think they mm. found something. Yeah, that's a really interesting case study because it shows like they did disclose it to the most valuable networks, I think, in advance. But there was there were so many teams that had been using it that they might not even had known who all of them were. And it was really hard to connect with all of them. And that was sort of mm-hmm. like, that's, I think of like a real world version of what we could imagine happening if someone's trying to do it ethically. Yeah. That's a good example. That fr- frozen heart. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's hard to warn everybody. Yeah. That's yeah. for sure. Like you, you don't know who, who, who else is using that, that, that protocol in the wrong way. Totally. Um, yeah. We see a lot of, I guess I was dealing with that the other day, but like there's a lot of threshold signature um, issues also. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, there's many people reusing the same schemes or libraries, and it's it's like a basically a hell to like contact everybody. And <laughs> you have we have this ninety days disclosure because I don't know somebody thought it was a good idea to say nine, 90 days is the gold standard, right? Yeah. Um, and so everybody's running around. Have we warned everybody? Like, is there any other projects that we should warn? Is has everybody fixed the, the bug? Totally. These kind of things. I mean, the the most. Famous one, I think still in our space was the Zcash one. In their case, though, it was like, it was the only people who could figure it out, they -hmm. think, were in the room, were the people who built this thing, because it was so, there were so few people in the world who understood these systems. Yeah. And it was Ariel Gabizan who found it and they kept it even from the rest of the company. They kept it in a group of three people who knew uh, what was happening. And they had to like strategize all these things to make sure that they could do this upgrade without it being known because had they, so they made didn't it known, disclose, yeah? they, didn't they, disclose. they didn't disclose it, but it was internal. But yeah, there was risk to the users, I guess, during that time. There was risk, like, right? They, they could have shut down the protocol, um, but I'm not down. saying that they should have done it, right? Yeah. Like I'm not saying they should have, but so this is interesting because at the time we were auditing Zcash at NCC group and Strad oh, wow. had told me, I'm very curious of the results. And he made this face when he told me that. Um, huh. And I, Although, it was weird. I don't I, think Strad so, knew. I don't think Strad uh, really? was part of the inner circle. I mean, I, he should speak on this, but uh, yeah, as far as okay, I know. Okay, interesting. Because at the time, I, that's when I started thinking, did they insert bugs just to see if we're doing our job correctly <laughs> or something? <laughs> and then I started thinking if like clients can do that in general and this, this kind of things. Um, oh, that's funny. So he did have a weird reaction. I remember oh. that. I should ask him. Yeah, actually, I shouldn't speak for them at all on that front, but... um. As far as I remember, it was Ariel 
Sean Bo right. and Zuko, who knew? And maybe there was like one other, maybe like the legal team or something, but it was like a very small group. I don't think the general engineering team knew. It's such a difficult problem, right? I know. It's just like, it's crazy to me, right? Because like even the mere knowledge that there exists a bug. I know. Is like so useful in finding one, right? Mm-hmm. Like it makes it just so much easier, which is insane. Oh yeah. Oh, so, oh, okay. I don't, I don't know if I should say that, but I know some people that ended up exploiting that bug on like forks of Zcash. Oh, <laughs> oh. Didn't fix it yeah. Fast enough. Although that was communicated at that point. So I feel right. like. Yeah. I, I don't even know what these forks are, but yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, I think as a case study, actually, I think what we'll try for this episode, we'll dig up. I did an episode with Sean Bo where he goes through that timeline in a lot of detail. So that mm. might actually be something interesting for folks to listen to if they want to hear that story accurately. And my apologies, by the way, if I'm also misrepresenting it, because it's, I think we did this, it was episode 76. So, and we're close mm. to episode 300 now. So yeah, it's been a while. Anyway. Right. Cool. Impressed on your memory, though. Do you remember seventy six? Well, I just know it was. It was no. I know it because it was one of the most popular episodes ever. So it's like it pops up on our kind of best of lists all the time. That's why I know that one. It was a really good one. It was actually. It was Sean. uh, I think it was the first time he had spoken about this issue after it had happened, but it was already like nine months later or so. So he digested it, but it was very. It was very cool to to get a chance to talk to him about it. I, yeah, I, I think that's the only place where he mentioned that it was Ariel that found it, right? Like trying yeah. to understand the protocol, if I remember the, yeah. the episode. So crazy. Anyway, so David, what are the new sort of research topics? I know like your focus now on the auditing and stuff, but I'm imagining mm-hmm. just given what you've described of your background and the fact that you tend to be reading and writing, what are the research topics outside of security and auditing that you're interested in? Outside of security and auditing... Well, are we still talking about zero knowledge or? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> it was, it was what kind of music question. are you into now? No. <laughs> Taylor Swift, of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, zero, zero knowledge stuff. I'm fascinated with the folding work and this like line mm. of folding with ProtoStar and ProtoGalaxy. Yeah. And yeah, is ProtoGalaxy the last one for now? <laughs> Because there's, there's a new one every week. So yeah, it's, there's it's no lasso to... and something. So, no. so lasso and jolt are like, yeah, not, not folding things, but they're like, so I look guess there's like Max. the folding, yes. there's the folding branch and the lookup branch and yeah, lasso yeah. and jolt right. looks amazing also. Um, so I'm digging the lasso jolt branch also right now and looking at Inspark and Hyrax, uh, H-Y-R-A-X, Hyrax. Mm-hmm. Um, so this sounds like really interesting protocol and, and, uh, to me, maybe this is an, an interesting, uh, uh, strong opinion also. But it, it sounds like, I'm wondering is, if this is the death of, uh, of Starks, actually, that we're witnessing. Uh, I know we've talked about that wow. before, Guillermo. Um, That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. I do not, but why, because, uh, is it because Snarks become Starks? No, I think it's just that, like, Starks are quite limited because of the way they, they use hash functions and, and, oh. and these kind of things. And the advances that we're seeing in, in the the other side are so such important breakthroughs that I, th- I think we're going to get to the point. If it's not happening, I, I don't know if we're going in that direction. But I, right. yeah, I don't want to, to you know, get ever, anyone upset. But I, I'm if it's happening, I'll be the first one to say it then. Wow. We're living I've, history. Yeah, I've never heard that. That's wild, though. That's a hot I mean, take, yeah. If yeah. that was the case in a weird way, I feel like it would be, I mean, there's just been so much mindshare around Snarks. There's been so many groups who've championed it, so many teams who've used it and added to it. So it's not like completely out of mind that that could be the case, right? That like just with that much brain power focused on this particular system that it would like somehow Mm -hmm. go past it. But yeah, I wonder if it's just like testament to open sourceness from the beginning. Starks are now more open source, but they didn't really start that way. Yeah, if I mm, if I would have to so. guess, it's it's most I would say it's mostly that Starks are limited due to using hash functions, and eventually this is a pretty big fact, limiting factor. Um, you don't think that you could engineer around that and research breakthrough around that? I I actually do. You do? Okay. Ooh, hot yeah. take. Okay. Hot take. Uh, the hot the hot <laughs> take is um, not around. Yeah, not around Starks is. We know them now, TM, you know, using like standard hash functions. But I do think there is like very interesting work to be done in that area. But um, it would need the mind share. Yeah, you, you could construct hash functions that are more structured. 
than like SHA-256, for example. Mm. And uh, that's an interesting that fact. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, set of things. So anyways, I don't know, maybe some listeners will scoop us. Before. But I think people have been trying to solve that for, for a while. So wow. yeah, yeah. No, this is also true. It, it's my suspicion yeah. is uh, if it was easy and probably would have been done. Right. Mm-hmm. But but I, mm. I wouldn't I wouldn't trumpet the death of them yet, but I would trumpet the death of them maybe as we currently see it. Maybe interesting. Right. By, wow. by, and by the way, I I don't want to say that like you know there, there's still many projects that use Starks and and um, that that doesn't mean that you know these projects are not good or, or anything. Mm-hmm. But you know breakthroughs I think are going to continue piling up on that side, and I think we're going to see more and more interesting uh, yeah. designs. And actually, yeah, maybe a note there because I think what you're saying too is like there's teams and systems that are built on Starks or Snarks, but they're usually built actually if they're in the building phase and implementation, they're already built on like systems that were developed a few years ago mm-hmm. and had sort of ossified and like yeah, like now that those are secure enough or if people feel comfortable enough that they're going to implement it. What you're talking about is like the cutting edge, right? Like not tested yet, research yeah, style yeah. stuff, and you can't you can like just like shut down your product and say, guys, we're just gonna rewrite everything from scratch because this new cool thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you're you're always in a <laughs> like whatever you do, sure. you're always gonna see new cool stuff coming up. I know. It, it doesn't mean you need to like restart your project. Of course, I often ask teams that are building sort of like yeah more like protocol level or even like application level, like how do they how did you make your choice? At what point mm-hmm. do you have to just say? I'm going to go with this because I feel safe with it. And yep. Yeah. David, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing with yeah. us sort of all of the work you've been doing around communication, education, auditing, security. This is so exciting. Um, and building, actually. I shouldn't forget that you've also built a lot of systems that people are using. <laughs> really glad we got a chance to speak with you. Yeah. And thanks again. Yeah, this was, yes. uh, I, I really wanted to come here, but I was waiting for the invitation. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure <laughs> having you, and uh, and thank you. You know, we, we covered a lot of ground, but it's always uh, entertaining chatting. Cool. So I want to say thank you to the podcast team, Henrik, Rachel, and Tanya, and to our listeners. Thanks for listening. Thanks.